Hi everyone, Boris here. Sorry for the quick interruption, but I have to tell you about some exciting new job openings that are added to the LogTechies job board. Have you heard of the LogTechies job board? LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. That's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Brand new to the board is Bex Technologies from Stuttgart, Germany. Bex is building a logistics platform for the construction industry that helps companies coordinate deliveries to construction sites. I've had CEO and co-founder Leonard Paul on the podcast before, and I know they're going places. Right now, they're hiring for a number of exciting roles, including a CFO, COO, and a head of logistics. Alaiko from Munich, Germany is another new addition to the LogTechies job board. Alaiko offers seamless e-commerce fulfillment for fast-rising online shops and e-commerce brands. The company raised $30 million in a Series A round earlier this year and is now on an ambitious growth trajectory. They are looking to fill a number of sales roles, for example, for junior as well as for seasoned professionals. You should definitely take a look at Alaiko's openings. Aside from Bex Technologies and Alaiko, you will also find exciting roles from TradeLink, Noise Technologies, FanRide, Sender and others. Please have a look and follow the board so you can stay updated on when new companies and jobs get added. You find the LogTechies job board at LogTechies.com. L-O-G-T-E-C-H-I-E-S.com. LogTechies.com. All right, and now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreyer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today's episode is all about blockchain. A topic that I have personally really started to immerse myself in, starting just recently. Not just because of what's going on in the crypto and NFT space there right now, but because I have come to the conclusion that blockchain technology is really going to fundamentally change the field of logistics and supply chain management. I know that we've all heard that claim before, like three or four years ago, but the technology has proven itself in so many fields now that it's really just a matter of time until we're going to see the use cases in logistics and supply chain that we've all been waiting for. We have an incredible guest on the program today. Daniel Demers is a bona fide blockchain expert, and what I really like about him is that he can explain this very, very technical subject in a way that makes it understandable even to us regular folks. Today's episode is hosted by Marco Prügelmeier. Marco, take it away. Daniel, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Nice to have you. Hello. Thank you so much, Marco, for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, before we start uh, talking about uh, the blockchain technology, uh, I came across your, your CV and uh, I read that you started as a, a, a programmer in the Commodore C64 world. Is that really true? <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> fake news. Uh, I assume by your question, you also were coding on the Commodore 64. Um, yeah, actually, that was a wonderful time. So when I got my C64, I was probably around 13 years old, uh, uh, late 80s, and I was totally fascinated by by home computing, right? So I learned Assembler. Uh, I think I was pretty pretty good with it. I was able even to make some money. Um, summer times, you know, working for companies, doing some code. Um, it was nice, right? Uh, I would say this was a real global community of Commodore 64 owners who were exchanging views, connecting, all in the pre 
internet or pre-World Wide Web uh, era. And what's funny, some of these friendships from back then are still alive today. So oh, every wow. two years or so we do reunions, we meet again. Uh, some of us still code. I also gave, gave it a try again a few years back on a, on a compiler. Um, it's good. It was, uh, I mean, the basis uh, of doing assembler code on a relatively simple chip, you know, the, the chip of the Commodore 64 helped me understand how computers work, how they tick, uh, how you can steer them. Uh, so I don't, I, th I think that was a good base also for what's happening now in, in the blockchain world, what we're going to probably talk a bit uh, today about. Uh, very exciting. So you also had a Commodore 64, I assume. Yes, yes. I'm thinking ah. back of that. But but I was more on the playing side, I have to admit. Okay. So, so not the assembler programming. Yeah, That was too, too kind of deep stuff for me back then. <laughs> um, yeah, but coming to the to the blockchain topic, um, it, it all started out with uh, Satoshi Nakamoto back in 2008 with the the famous uh, white paper and and then with Bitcoin. And as we are recording this, uh, Bitcoin is valued around 50K. Um, and you as a consultant with for, for many banks and fintechs, uh, what is your opinion on that situation right now? Well, it's a, a coming of age story, right? From that point of view, Bitcoin or the broader crypto scene is now about 10, 11 years old. Uh, so coming into puberty, coming into an exciting phase, and this is exactly what we're living through right now. So while the global, let's say, Bitcoin ecosystem community was, was pretty small until recently, it feels suddenly like it's become a really large thing and not just with uh, tech uh, people, people who admire blockchain for what it is as a technology, but it has definitely entered the boardrooms, not just of bankers, right? But mm. uh, as we can see, big companies like uh, Elon Musk's Tesla, um, uh, a lot of American boards are right now discussing whether they should allocate some share of their treasury holdings into Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency. Uh, we've come a long way over all those years and it's very exciting. I think the, the high demand is pushing prices up as we see. And uh, given it's a deflationary currency that is uh, capped at 21 million, uh, talking of the original Bitcoin, uh, this is making it probably attractive in macroeconomic times of, you know, heavy printing of money by central banks, um, potential inflation at the horizon, and maybe general instability. So people are looking for alternatives where to put their money in. Gold is going up like crazy, and, and I always say Bitcoin is a bit more like digital gold. Mm -hmm. Less so maybe a peer-to-peer -peer payment system as it was envisioned by Satoshi Nakamoto back then. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's mostly the, the, yeah, the restricted amount of Bitcoin with the 21 million um, uh, uh, that is attracting a lot of, of uh, people in, into the market, I guess. Um, do you also see the technology of blockchain itself having more attractiveness and, and getting more attractiveness? Absolutely. Uh, so I had the privilege to work for a, a very big company, right? Uh, I, w I used to be with Booz, uh, Stragiant, and we were then acquired by PwC. 
at PwC, I was the head of blockchain for uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa. Uh, we saw a lot of live projects, right? And it's uh, no secret that, for example, logistic companies, very large international logistic companies, jumped on the topic, if I remember correctly, about three, three and a half, four years mm -hmm. ago. I remember doing workshops with them, you know, classic design thinking on whiteboards, thinking of, hey, how can this cool new technology help you, uh, you know, manage your, your core business, be more efficient, uh, have faster flows. Um, it's it's been a topic uh, that has early on interested a lot of people. How can blockchain help us? So now we're talking the technology, not Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies. Um, and also that has been kind of a, a journey, right? So a couple of years ago, I would say it was the, the days of the POC, the proof of concept. So there was a lot of whiteboard work. Uh, some companies, I remember, we did 17, 20, 25 POCs. But usually, to be very honest and also self-critical, not much happened with these POCs, also in the logistics space. They often were yeah, put in a drawer, put on a nice, you know, in a, into an innovation lab. Um, but very few things have actually been implemented. And often the implementation was more of a little pilot prototype that didn't scale, that didn't kind of unleash the full power of blockchain. And that leads, of course, to reactions of, of the, the CEOs and the boards where they say, oh, it looks a bit to me like a hype. You know, everyone's talking about it, but when you actually want to get some value out of it for your business, all we get is a, a shitty little prototype, you know, mm -hmm. that's uh, not working very well. Um, this this has been a bit the story two, three years back, but I kind of feel we're now entering a new stage where more and more interest is coming. But more importantly, the, the technology is also growing up. So we see a lot more serious uh, blockchain protocols out there that don't just work, but they can also scale. And I think the scaling part is very, very important. And not to forget, last but not least, also transaction fees need to be reasonable. I mean, if you look what's happening in the crypto world, uh, I, on, on Ethereum, if you do DeFi, you usually pay 20, 30, 50, 80 dollars for one single transaction. Imagine a logistics chain <laughs> with, I don't know, 20 dollars <laughs> per, per interaction with the blockchain uh, doesn't work, right? So we're, we need protocols, we need blockchain technology that can operate uh, with all the good features but not with such high transaction costs yeah otherwise this could get expensive yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah right you very expensive uh, yeah. yeah but it's kind of also a little bit the, the evolution and, and the way of new technologies isn't it that you first try out you have to 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 get a little bit little bit uh, um, yeah, accustomed to the new technology you have to find out well, what is this actually <laughs> what is it about and and that's why as a company you, you're doing uh, uh, just small POCs at the beginning and so um, and uh, I'm glad that you s see it um, on the horizon right now that there is some kind of scaling uh, coming especially in uh, also for logistics company companies that um, probably are the, the most um, interesting for our audience here in the logistics tribe. Um, and Daniel, if we stick now a little bit more to the uh, logistics use cases of blockchain, um, which one 
which ones can you see there? Where, where can blockchain be really helpful for uh, the logistics community and logistics companies? Sure. Uh, I suggest let's split that question a bit in, in two parts. One is looking at today. So what is happening today? What use cases are most popular? Mm -hmm. But given, you know, we, we spoke a lot about uh, future in the past and, and obviously now working with Singular, I'm, I'm a believer in singularity, exponential technologies. So let's maybe also take a look how the logistics field will change in the coming years mm -hmm. and then what role blockchain likely will have. If, if we start with the first part and say, well, what are the, the big uh, use cases for the logistics? There's usually two. And these are also ones that have been well explored. You have uh, absolutely working solutions for that. One is, of course, the tracing tracking along a supply chain logistics chain. Um, this has been one of the most favorite use cases from the beginning. Um, and the story here is basically you can find mechanisms to have goods or, or transport capacities kind of register on the blockchain along the way. So I don't know if a truck drives from A to B, this gets recorded. If then uh, the parcel gets loaded into a container and shipped, everything is recorded on the blockchain, which has multiple you know, benefits. It's immutable. It's an archive. You can track it, uh, track and trace it at any point in time. You have a, still this kind of pseudo-anonymity, so you can see the transactions, but maybe you need a, a special key to understand who is doing that transaction or what is inside the parcel, so you can use some of the benefits of cryptography here as well. And, and this is fundamentally, I think, uh, a very uh, nice and good use case, uh, and we can probably delve a bit further on that. The second one, coming a bit from the financial services industry, obviously, is trade finance. It's, it's a huge topic. Any uh, SME company, any large company that is doing uh, international trade, which is probably 90%, 95% of the successful companies, they have always the problem of you know, sending goods and receiving money for it. Um, banks love that business. It's called trade finance. You know, you have letter of credits, etc. But it's, it's usually a very cumbersome, fragmented and inefficient uh, let's say value chain here, just because multiple banks are involved, uh, logistic streams match with financial streams. Both systems, I, I assume, are probably on the IT side. Uh, you know, still lots to do. Uh, sometimes running on old legacy systems. Uh, so trade finance has been from day one a very popular use case. Uh, unfortunately, today, you can't really say there's one trade finance solution that it can be rolled out globally on a blockchain. We have a lot of smaller fragmented uh, solutions that prove that it could be working, but uh, I don't think the impact for the logistics industry has been that big today. I don't know if you agree. I'm sure these are the two use cases you've been following also very closely. Mm. Oh, yeah. So that those are... Um, if you also include... Uh, the, the micro payments and into the trade finance issue is that correct so so all the micro payments and so is that is that part of the trade trade finance um usually not right trade finance is more classic you know i i have a, a delivery a shipment 
and I want to make sure, for example, I have a prepayment or I give a loan to someone ahead of that shipment. Micropayment is, is one of the more newer and I would say more exciting use cases, right? And, and here we're probably coming into how does logistics look in the future and obviously I don't have a crystal ball but what I, what I like about this industry it's probably one of the oldest industries in the world right uh, it's fair to say I know 10,000 years <laughs> in the making uh, people whenever they moved started moving things around so living on this planet is a story about logistics right and always innovation has been a key part of it you know from carriages drawn by horses uh, elephants maybe dragging uh, wooden uh, timber through woods etc uh, human mankind we've always tried to find way to make our life easier because the ultimate fallback is i carry something to somewhere that's the usually fallback right um, and this is now if we look just back the last 10 20 25 years it's been a dramatic change it looks almost like we're more and more dehumanizing logistics so already now i have a, a good friend here in souk he has a industry company he has totally robotized the the warehouse so the warehouse is now uh, totally run by computers with of course one two people uh, observing it but what uh, what fascinated me looking when i had the guided tour Actually, the, the aisles of the, the warehouse are so narrow, normal people could not work there anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You cannot take a caterpillar mm -hmm. or I don't know what's the English word, an ant, you know, these little yeah, uh, forklift or forklifts. Or like that. You couldn't even yeah. drive there with a human. It's all too narrow, but for robots, it's not a problem. Uh, and, and we see technology kind of conquering uh, logistics left, right and center. You know, you have uh, autonomous trucks. Uh, we will have delivery drones. We already have uh, have them. Um, there's going to be so many innovations here, also with AI. So I think when GPS came, we thought that's the game changer for the logistics industry. But I would say GPS, in hindsight, was just a very small step on a, on a much bigger uh, you know mountain climb. And we're coming now into the exponential phases where. It's going to be very exciting, you know, autonomous uh, transport vehicles uh, going somewhere. And, and then that's where the microtransactions come in that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So if we imagine a, a big city, let's say Sao Paulo or San Francisco, uh, and we would say all the, all the urban logistics are handled by autonomous devices, be it, you know, uh, cars, autonomous cars, trucks or lorries, or it could be little robots like post is being uh, delivered by little robots that drive and know where to deliver what. Um, we need microtransactions to make that happen. Paying for tolls, paying for transactions, loading up maybe in, on energy. And, and for this, I, I'm a firm believer that blockchain is in this machine-to-machine -machine logistics scenario is a must, uh, both for the payments, but more importantly, I think, for the entire management of that logistics chain. Because if you, if you think of the benefits uh, that you have with blockchain, there's actually three things you can do with it. Number one, you can transact money or currency uh, through it. Number two, you can use it just as a self-governing ledger. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to know where parcel A is, you want to know where autonomous truck B is or where the ship is that should be now sailing into port. All these things managed in one system or, or on one ledger uh, or on multiple ledgers that are interoperable, that needs to work probably more likely on a blockchain than on a, on a huge database. Imagine such a database for a city of Sao Paulo or, or San Francisco. It's going to be a, a massive challenge from a, from an IT point of view. And and the third part where I think blockchain will play a role is uh, in the electronic identity identification. Um, so when you have, I don't know, 5,000 uh, electronic lorries autonomously driving around in a city, you should very well know exactly which one is which, how do they identify themselves, so they need like stable identities stored somewhere in a safe way that they can use to do transactions to get identified. Um, maybe even AIs will need to be registered somewhere, you know, so assuming that AI will be one of the key disruptive technologies for logistics, you may want to, let's say you have a dispatcher AI for parcels somewhere, maybe you want to register it. You want to know mm-hmm. which AI is involved in the in the chain here, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, and who built it. Sense. Yeah, it all makes sense. So I think the blockchain can play these three roles. It can uh, help transaction transparency, tracking, tracing. It can do the micropayments or macropayments, and it can help on identifying, kind of providing stable identities on on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really makes sense in my point of view. As we, as as now, everybody is really focused on how do we get autonomous vehicles and autonomous uh, uh, forklifts and and uh, delivery bots and and so on. You know, um, everybody is is behind this this autonomy issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next step will probably be. Okay, how do we how do we actually pay those robots? Yeah? How do they interact uh, in a in a safe and and secured way uh, with each other? Yeah, and and yeah, I also like the the notion that you had with the electronic ID for robots and also for for AI because I can imagine a future where uh, you have some AIs involved in a process as you mentioned it, and you probably want to know. <laughs> which AIs those are and are they really uh, trustable or is this uh, some kind of a scam AI or something exactly, that, yeah. <laughs> that does not want to, to act in your yeah. favor. Yeah? Um, and that's also some, uh, some point where blockchain could, could really be helpful in the next step. But that's, that's some, uh, something that you probably don't see uh, that obvious right now yeah as on the on the step where we are right now because with the track and trace issue that you were also talking about in logistics um, a lot of people say yeah okay but you could do track and tracing without blockchain yeah you we we actually do it in logistics already and you don't need essentially a blockchain yeah i i can see the the use case where you uh, get certain rights and certain views on the blockchain um, with uh, uh, an additional um, uh, um, yeah, identification or authorization. Um, but this could actually, to be honest, this could be also done by a, um, by a, a, just a normal database or what's your opinion on that? 
True, true. I mean, this has been kind of the the big challenge of blockchain from day one. You know, you could always say, why don't I, we just use a database? And, and many companies have, have solved it like that for now. Um, but there's a couple of things to consider. Uh, blockchain, and I think this is one big advantage, doesn't need data reconciliation. It is already reconciled through the protocol and, and the structure uh, of the setup, uh, decentralized, etc. Um, <clears throat> just taking banking as an example, uh, you would be amazed how much effort is put in by banks just to reconcile their data. Mm. For example, in, in our global financial markets, in equities, for example, derivatives trading, um, there are so many systems at work and so many uh, interoperability issues, even within one bank, you know, there can easily be two, three hundred different trading systems at work and all of them create data, store it somewhere. And you have huge reconciliation issues there that often get solved manually or with AI. We, we in the logistics space, we sooner or later will run into the same uh, redundancy of data uh, and and like who who's gonna checking it right if mm -hmm. if a entry is really valid or not on the blockchain this is all made simpler on two sides number one you don't need reconciliation of data the blockchain is the blockchain is the blockchain there's very limited margin of error um, and on top of that uh, often underlooked uh, <laughs> a feature is uh, let's look at at the Bitcoin blockchain this is an IT system that has been up and running for 10 years it was never down for a second there was never an outage there was never a major data flaw where you know old archives had to be restored and and put on top um, yeah, this, despite all rumors about bitcoin but this was never actually the bitcoin blockchain it was always some some kind of a um, trade platform or something that was got compromised exactly, yeah. right and, and it was never hacked so uh, yeah. the data is the data and this you could call it trust or trust layer um, is probably the appeal today of blockchain technology and and cryptocurrencies or bitcoin but in the logistics space i would say you're having a bit of the same dilemma of course you can assuming now a scenario for let's say san francisco uh, or, or zurich for that matter if if the whole logistics things are run on on databases uh, then the question comes, how many of those do you install one database per city, one database by country? Is this run by government or by the logistics companies? Uh, they need to probably then install APIs. So you're creating a huge data infrastructure, which is today, of course, in place and, and, and working, but I assume with a lot of inefficiencies um, as we speak. And on top of that, uh, let's talk assurance. A database is always hackable, just by definition. Uh, a good friend of mine, who's also at Singular, he, he comes from cybersecurity uh, arena, 30 years plus. If if something is online, it can be hacked. You can mitigate it, you can observe it, you can try to prevent it, but it's potentially hackable. Um, in a logistics space, that could be detrimental, if not fatal. I mean, you could uh, delete entire records, if you like, you can uh, fake uh, data. Uh, so the assurance is, is much harder. Of course, it can be done, but it's much harder and also costly. So in the end, you have to pay a premium. On the blockchain, that assurance is much, much easier. To give an example, we want uh, to ship medical supplies that need to be cooled. You know, I think in, in the COVID days, 
it's a good example. I understood mm-hmm. the vaccines have to be stored at, at minus 60 degrees or something. Yeah, so you can send them, them from A. Sorry? At least some of them. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you need uh, cooling containers and you need some some device that makes sure the temperature never gets above a certain threshold. Um, you could store that on a, on a little chip, on a little RAM chip and just read it when you arrive. But again, this is manipulatable. Uh, you upload it into a cloud or you have a system div- in place that is probably a bit more effort, more costly, but you maybe write every 30 seconds an entry on a blockchain. This is my GPS location. This is the temperature I'm having. I don't know, this is uh, penetration of, of the, the container, nothing registered. So you get this kind of assurance data locked on a blockchain where it's immutable, unhackable, not uh, changeable. Uh, this makes it, let's say, if you want to employ a big four audit company to take a look at this later, uh, it's perfect for them. They don't have to do much. They just check the, the blockchain and they see the data. This is different in, in a setup where you have 20 different, I don't know, databases involved, a lot of uh, transactions on the internet. So I firmly believe in that even in the track and trace use case, blockchain for larger systems can, can play an important role. Okay. You sound um, unconvinced. <laughs> I just want to understand a little bit more about the, the high security levels of the blockchain. Has this to do with the, with the SHA-256 uh, algorithm that, that is encrypting some of the blockchains? Or, um, or what, what is the, the reason behind that? It, it's a multiple of things. So the, the encryption you mentioned, the uh, SHA-256, uh, mm-hmm. there are others actually at, at work, for example, in generating addresses. But uh, yes, I mean, the encryption uh, cryptography that is employed is, is one element of it. But it is also the system, I'm now taking the Bitcoin blockchain as an example of a, of a non-permissioned public blockchain where you and I, we can start a node tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We will download the entire data of that, uh, have it on our computer. We can run validations as much as we like. And the system keeps all nodes and, and all yeah, the blockchain in that sense always totally um, proper, up and running and reconciled. Uh, so this is a system where you're having a totally decentralized database uh, that is kind of maintained by a community of maybe in the case of, of Bitcoin, you know, 10,000 different nodes. So even if uh, 3,000 go offline, there's still enough to keep the, the blockchain running and, and mm-hmm. uh, synchronized. And these are all features that are hard to, let's say, mimic with the classic IT database structures. Yes, you can also have decentralized databases. You can devise protocols for them to interact and put some cryptography on top. But, but then that would be a lot of effort and all you would do is kind of imitate mm-hmm. the blockchain. So the technology yeah. is already here. It's working. It's proven and tested. Uh, important people seem to place a lot of trust in it because they, you know, Elon Musk has, has put some <laughs> 1.5 billion on it. Uh, I, I hope he did some tech due diligence before doing that. <laughs> so there's, uh, yeah, there's a, this technology that has some features um, where it doesn't make sense in, in, a, in a different uh, use case is if you 
have a very small confined use case and you need the data at a very high uh, you know, speed, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. So today's blockchain are unfortunately still quite slow. They do a bad job at scaling. Mm -hmm. um, we discussed mm -hmm. the transaction fees, but in terms of robustness, mm -hmm. resilience, security, cybersecurity, they're, they're doing pretty well. So you have today a, a trade-off that probably makes many of today's protocols unattractive for the uh, for a broader use case, um, but I mean the community is is working like crazy on so many new innovations. So we see, I mean, if you see where the technology has come in just ten years, uh, and you said that you know it was similar with other technologies. You know, after the first 10, 15 years, you yeah. were not so impressed. We were all not so impressed about you know the internet. You would not think that you will watch movies on it in in high definition quality, and choose from I don't know thousands of movies at your fingertips or manage your music. Uh, I had an old MP3 player, and I always had to ask myself which songs do I store yeah. on it now because I had uh, I think only Remember two or three megabytes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those were the days where you thought. Yeah, this digital stuff is cool, but it's kind of still uh, it's uh, still a bit annoying, and it's not really doing what I want. And, yeah. and I think we'll have the same with blockchain. I mean, give us another five or ten years, and and we'll probably see completely different protocols at work and and completely different scalability. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, the transaction topic has already been solved. It just needs to be rolled out now yeah, yeah. and but that's ex actually uh, why it's so important to do those kind of podcasts and and interactions as we do it right now because uh, we have to talk about that stuff yeah and understand it and and get dig a little bit deeper and and talk about the concerns that they are and uh, that they bring with it that the new technologies um to to be more confident in using them um, and you mentioned actually one uh, very important thing, and I think you convinced me right now with the security issue, because you would have to actually hack all the nodes that have a consensus in the blockchain uh, at the same time, basically, to or at least the majority of the nodes to compromise the blockchain, Correct. which is actually yeah pretty much impossible. Yeah. Uh, and on the other hand, I, I'm not so much familiar with the, the fintech uh, industry, but uh, I assume it might be easier to, to hack uh, uh, one <laughs> bank server or, or even if it's two or three different bank servers, but uh, it's nearly impossible to, to hack, uh, I don't know, several thousands of, of different uh, decentralized nodes. Yeah? And that's, that gives a really... Uh, uh, actually new possibilities. Huh? Exactly. I mean, what you refer to is called the 51% attack. Yeah. So uh, a hacker would need to, or a consortium of hackers, because one person alone couldn't do mm -hmm. it, needs to control 51% of the network. And then, as you say, we're, it probably would be a good Hollywood movie, you know, like Mission Impossible <laughs> crypto style, because you have to control all these uh, 51% and then execute kind of a, a change in, in blockchain da data at the same. So you need good Swiss watches. Uh, <laughs> everyone needs to be fully in sync. And if a few of the, the, the hackers screw up, you land at maybe 48% of control and the whole mission is, is a big failure. Um, so, of course, they say 
the, it could theoretically be, be possible, but it will cost you several billions. I, I've heard from some security experts costs in the range of two, three billion to run such an operation with really qualified, you know, uh, system penetrators uh, in the cybersecurity space. But then again, yeah, it hasn't been done. It hasn't even been tried yet. Um, but here we come a bit to the differences in blockchain. I mean, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain is, it rests on many shoulders. If you would have a blockchain that runs only on four nodes, just for the sake of the argument, then it becomes much more vulnerable, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. the, the size comes from, or the size is this, the resilience, is the security. The bigger the blockchain is, the, the, the safer it is. And uh, Daniel, because we are already in the in the tech space, a little bit of the blockchain, um, and we just mentioned one important thing uh, about blockchains, which is the consensus uh, algorithm. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. So uh, as I understood it, the, the, there are different types of consensus algorithms. Um, and the consensus basically is what defines uh, what is actually written on those different nodes in the blockchain. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So uh, how do those several thousand nodes agree on which is the truth in the blockchain, right? That's uh, to, to keep it uh, uh, simple here. But that that is somehow defined by the consensus algorithm, as I understood it. Mm-hmm. And the, the Bitcoin blockchain, Uh, as one of the first examples of, of blockchains, depends on a, a, um, a proof-of-work algorithm. So uh, basically, the, um, the nodes are trying to solve mathematical puzzles, let's say, uh, and whoever solves it first defines or, or gets the right to, to set the next block on the chain uh, uh, for all the nodes. And uh, because the, the, um, the, the finding of the, the results of this mathematical puzzles uh, consumes energy and, and is hard to do, um, um, a lot of nodes are competing uh, uh, to, to, to get the right to do that. Is that somehow, did I understand that right? Or, or um, is it, uh, what do you think about that? No, absolutely. This is a, a fair description of of one consensus algorithm or let's say mm-hmm. the original consensus algorithm in in blockchain maybe with some uh, with a nuance that um, there is a separation between the nodes and the actual miners of course you can be both so mm-hmm. mo- all miners run also nodes um, the difference is as a as a node all you basically do is you support the blockchain with your own whatever computer you run the node on um, you can be a full node uh, and then download the entire blockchain and then you have to be always on in order to to transact the miners are doing exactly what you described so they got this mathematical riddle that they need to solve whoever comes up with the first uh, answer wins and can write the next block and then the the complexity or difficulty of that riddle is increasing over time this is where 
the inventor of, of uh, at least the Bitcoin protocol envisaged that over time uh, processors will get more and more efficient. So I have to increase the difficulty. Moore's law basically was anticipated. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have those two, let's say, parties and the nodes, how they also act is they collect transactions. So for example, if, if you want to transact to me one Bitcoin, that transaction would be written in a, in a mempool, in a memory pool. Uh, think of it like a bus station. You would uh, ask the transaction to queue at the bus station. Mm -hmm. And the higher fee, kind of bus ticket fee, you give to that transaction, the more further up the line, closer you know, to the entrance, can the transaction stand. Mm -hmm. So if you give a very, very low fee, that transaction will, will queue at the very end. And the miners, they compete for actually having the privilege to ride the bus. So that the bus driver... Uh, and every 10 minutes, a new bus leaves the station. Mm -hmm. So every 10 minutes, the winning miner sends the bus, shovels in all the transactions waiting at the bus station until the, the limit is, is reached. And we know the current Bitcoin blockchain has a limit in, in megabyte. And then, uh, yeah, it's full and the bus goes on. The miners get rewarded both by all the bus tickets they get, so all the transaction fees, they, mm -hmm. they collect those. And they get on top of that uh, a, a mining reward that is part of the protocol. Uh, and that is the famous halving that gets a bit less mm -hmm. over time. Um, but it is a highly lucrative business. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. But this is good for the stability and the consensus algorithm. So in a way, we need multiple miners spread around the world that run this as a business operation. Uh, they don't do it because they're Bitcoin supporters or believe in, in uh, Satoshi's white paper, but they do it because they want to make money. Mm -hmm. That's why they run, you probably saw that on TV or on YouTube, they run huge you know, mining farms yeah. with dedicated chips, dedicated uh, you know, computers that do nothing else than solve this, this one riddle. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, also where some of the criticism comes from uh, that says, well, you, know, you, you probably saw those statistics. We are using the energy consumption of New Zealand or mm -hmm. Argentina or Holland or uh, I don't know exactly which country fits it, but an enormous amount of energy is used by these miners and the node operators to make it all happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the community often says, well, that's the price you pay to get the system that comes out of it, just as, I don't know, the global banking system also consumes a certain amount of energy and you get the banking service out of it. Uh, so everything has a price. But obviously, this is one of the, the key debates also in the community. Mm -hmm. and, and as you, of course, know, there's now alternatives to proof of work. One is proof of stake. I'm a, I'm a trained economist, so this is probably a bit more what an economist would envision. This is where people uh, become nodes by staking uh, amounts of that cryptocurrency uh, to kind of uh, support the consensus algorithm. And if they would try to game the system, they would lose their stake. Mm -hmm. So you're basically putting, again, like a bit with the miners, you're putting economic principles in the co in the consensus mechanisms. And there are others. There's a proof of authority, uh, and 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 some some have very weak, uh, let's say, consensus algorithms. I mean, the weaker the consensus algorithms, the more, the quicker and faster the blockchain operates. Uh, so you have some of these so-called permission blockchains, which are, you could consider them a private club. 
with only a few participants, obviously they they will run much much faster because they don't go through the whole wave of you know miners mining notes uh, acknowledging and, and validating um, and and all the energy spent. But this is an an open topic that the community is discussing in these days very intensely, and you know multiple solutions are on the table and and we will see which one will will ultimately win and especially in the logistics space which one of these will be most suitable you know for for the logistics space mm, okay thank you that was very interesting and and uh, i like the the bus stop analogy that you brought up uh, brought up um, i have um, one question on that regarding the bitcoin protocol because it it often is mentioned um, Because what happens if the 21 million Bitcoins are uh, actually all mined and there is no, um, no, nothing more left for miners to mine, but I assume that then they get only paid by the, by the bus ticket fees, right? Correct, uh, so correct. The, okay. <laughs> yes. and, and all the system <clears throat> is kind of self-regulated uh, to work to, towards that point and then run as a system. Uh, based on on transaction fees, right? Exactly, and and if you assume that, uh, I mean, obviously, when when Bitcoin was worth, I don't know, three dollars or thirty or three hundred dollars, the transaction fees were uh, relatively smaller. Obviously, now they're much higher. But then, just for the sake of the argument, if if Bitcoin would hit two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand, you know, so the, the transaction fees they scale with the actual price of the Bitcoin. So I'd you know if The, the theory here is that even if the, all the 21 million are, are minted, which is still uh, some time off, then there will still be it will still be will enough attractive for the miners mm -hmm. to keep doing what mm -hmm. they do because you know, they will get the transaction uh, mm -hmm. rewards. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then um, the second question that is that is always arising, and you mentioned one part of them is uh, the concern. Uh, Okay, the the, um, the high mining fees are not um, appropriate for a business system or a logistic system running on a blockchain, right? Uh, but you mentioned that there are also other proof of uh, uh, X uh, examples, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so you could have other consensus uh, algorithms um, that are not actually consuming that. Uh, uh, that amount of energy and that are not that cost intensive. They are. They could be even uh, free, I guess, uh, if you agree on a, a private uh, node network and you. Yes. Uh, then you yes. could actually have it for the transactions for free, right? With with the same or or um, similar um, uh, uh, possibilities regarding the, the the security issues and the trust issues. Huh? Exactly. So there are there are such protocols already in circulation, and as you probably know, the Ethereum, which is uh, one of the very large protocols, is undergoing right now a shift from proof of work towards proof of stake. Uh, I mean, one of the inventors of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, called that initially Project Casper. Um, it's rolling out as we speak, so this is something obviously many people will be observing very carefully. Um, but as I said, you know, there's so much creativity right now in that space. So I'm I'm following approximately 25 to 30 different blockchain 
blockchains today and already that is is a lot of work right because uh, the the communities are very active a lot of things are happening um, and obviously every camp says you know we're building the future of blockchain our technology is it or our protocol is it and it's it's uh, i th- i think this work is required you need to put yourself in a, in a good overview here um, because probably like in the in the early days of the of the internet the world wide web uh, it was not always clear which one's going to be the, the the gold standard going forward. There was a time we were all browsing on Netscape or there was AOL online where people thought kind of a permission, semi-permission space is going to be the future. Mm. People are going to log on to their AOL on accounts and, and, and enjoy the internet through that. Uh, now we all know it's not how it went down, right? But uh, afterwards, you're always smarter. So I think we we need to give also the blockchain space some time, uh, but obviously the energy discussion with kind of Bitcoin being the the largest right now uh, coin also in value is creating a lot of discussions likely at board levels. Mm-hmm. A good good question, you know, to to Mr. Musk would of course be, I mean, with Tesla he is kind of ringing in the bell of totally modernizing uh, person person mobile personal mobility away from oil and gas led kind of motors to to electro uh, vehicles and at the same time you know he now seems to be a very strong supporter of bitcoin where a lot of uh, energy is created to fuel that he could say well i'm i'm energy energy i'm i'm all in for electric energy on both sides but of course there are already a lot of journalists that are questioning that and and mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. are threatening him at the next agm there's going to be a crazy discussion about that by some of the shareholders um, I, I agree, you know, this is something that needs to be looked at. Also now, uh, I've been working in the financial sectors for, for many years. ESG as a theme was already coming up, I think, 10, 12 years ago. It was not so popular back then, to be honest. But now uh, I think ESG is here to stay in, in the banking environment. You see a lot of ESG products. Uh, it's it's a narrative you find now in many annual reports. Uh, and for the same banks who are now starting to adopt uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, it will create some some hot uh, discussions at the board level. How do we manage those two sides? You know, on one side we want to support the, the ESG uh, community and and that movement, and at the same time we also want to support the crypto uh, movement and, and community. And we're finally, after many years, getting a bit over this. You know, Bitcoin is dangerous and for criminals only hump um, that was holding back the, the global banking system for quite some time. How, how is that going to play out? I think that's that's hard to predict. Mm-hmm. We have already talked about smart contracts, actually, when we were talking about the micro transactions mm-hmm. with the robots and so on that are coming on top now uh, of the on the blockchain, those micro uh, those those uh, um, uh, smart contracts. Um, I could also imagine uh, using those in uh, all the custom cl- customs clearance processes uh, between countries and so on. Do you see that as a possibility that could actually help logistics as a whole uh, uh, worldwide? But on the other hand, of course, it's it's a, a more kind of a long-term view, I guess, uh, because it's a, <laughs> a, a, a slow process to, to change that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I fondly remember we had uh, some good sessions. So I'm, I'm part of the Swiss Blockchain Federation. This is the 
official, let's say, government-supported uh, uh, association for blockchain. Uh, we have an industry working group that is particularly also looking at the logistics field, and we had some really good discussions there at the roundtable maybe a year ago. Uh, if you speak to logistics experts, they say the whole inefficiencies of a multi-country you know, uh, logistic shipment customs authorities, port clearance, port authorities. Uh, there's multiple layers involved and, and many of them still work with, you know, paper and pens, faxes sometimes even involved, emails, etc. It's uh, Sometimes you have to do phone calls to, to clarify why a shipment has to be loaded now with priority. Um, it's, it's a very inefficient, uh, let's say, chain from that point of view. Of course, it would be nice to say, well, you just code one protocol with a smart contract and it's all resolved. Uh, I think the truth, and this was a bit the outcome of our discussion, was that the, there needs to be a strong willingness by all involved parties. I'm not, and I'm not talking of the logistics companies. I think they can buy into this pretty, pretty quickly or already have. But of course, you need the full buy-in by all relevant port authorities, custom authorities, don't forget there's also tax interests behind that. So some governments need to then firm up the, the tax authorities to collect certain fees, you know, value add taxes, etc., transaction taxes. Um, it's quite a complex thing once you look at it from all the different involved angles. Uh, and of course, probably 10, 15 years out, I can envision a world where we have the whole transaction on a blockchain. We have multiple smart contracts running on that uh, because the smart contracts could do exactly this kind of, of work you know i mean a custom authority wants to identify the shipment they want to know who sends it to whom what is inside where does it come from who is delivering it all this all this data can be added beautifully on the blockchain and made available to that authority maybe they need a special key to unlock it so it's not totally transparent on the blockchain but this can all be done thanks to cryptography um, so you would have uh, high transparency for these authorities. Maybe the fees will be paid automatically. But then you, you ask yourself, in what currency, right? So not all governments today are accepting Bitcoin as a means of payment. I mean, here in Switzerland, we have some really forward-looking cantons like here at Zug, where I live. They do that. But it, you see, it will require quite a lot of change at multiple levels. And we're talking now not logistic companies, we're talking governments and, and their respective authorities. Um, I think it, it can be done, it will be done, but it's still a long journey till we get there. Mm -hmm. And maybe and the so-called, I don't know if you're familiar with that, central banking digital currencies can also play a certain role there. Um, because the, I see the whole blockchain world moving into a frame of interoperability where you have multiple blockchains interact with each other. Mm -hmm. You can DeFi, the decentralized finance space shows how through smart contracts you can, you can actually change currencies automatically. No human needs to be involved in that. It's all protocol based. So on that basis, you could think of uh, interoperability of multiple blockchains in, in the logistics space. Um, payments, fees, duties are paid through smart contracts, even in multiple cryptocurrencies. So some countries could say we only accept the digital uh, central bank currency of our central bank. That can be done, right, with the smart contract. Others will say we accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the following five other currencies as well. That can also be dealt with. So the industry needs to work on this, but at the same time, there needs to be a lot of probably policy making 
lobbying and, and deci decisions at governmental level. Um, but in the end, the benefits are, are there, right? The benefits can be quite well uh, marked out. Uh. Mm. And that's a lot of your work that you are doing, actually, right? Uh, uh, so uh, bringing the blockchain issue to the governments and especially in, in uh, Switzerland and, and uh, talking with, with uh, our politics and, and so on uh, to, to get there, right? Yes, I mean, in Switzerland, we had a, a good situation that we have a quite federalistic politic uh, system, uh, open-minded uh, politicians and authorities. And at the same time, we had this early incubation of the what we call today the Crypto Valley, Crypto Nation. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, teams like the Ethereum team were here very early. We had Xapple, we had other people here. And that helped us fuel that dialogue very early. Um, at one point, uh, the Canton of Zug asked us to create a Crypto Valley Association to have some form formality there. We did that. Uh, there was then suddenly a blockchain task force that was initiated by the government and said, you know, why don't 30 experts come together and discuss how this can change the life in Switzerland? You know, how can we use this technology in a positive way? Uh, so, yes, I, I think this has been some of the uh, definitely most exciting part of my work in the past years to be not just part of the ecosystem and do my thing, but also help the government and help uh, the authorities and, and really the decision makers um, to, to move ahead with this. And I'm, I'm lucky, I have to knock on wood, that we have such a positive climate here in Switzerland, because if you look around the world, not all governments are, are that open minded when it comes to blockchain or, or cryptocurrencies for that matter. So maybe we are going to see the, the, the first custom clearance on the blockchain out of Switzerland, right? <laughs> I would love that, Marco. Honestly, I mean, if, if we had to bet a, a bottle of wine on it, I'd, I, I would I would bet on Switzerland, yes. <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't bet on Germany, so... <laughs> well, I mean, Germany is doing very good and uh, you see similar things happening there uh, as well in the past years. Now, uh, I, th I think we're in a, in a good shape here in Europe in general um, and yeah we just need to push push on and not be too easily distracted and not be too easily yeah. disappointed uh, because the last years I was often confronted with very senior people that maybe in their past 20 years ago were very tech technology oriented and then they tell me oh I looked at this technology it's not good for nothing I don't want to use it it's mm. so so they have this negative initial attitude already and see only the negatives in it you know the the, the the silk road criminals and the hack on mount gox and all these stories that you can read uh, and i think this is this is dangerous this is dangerous also in the context of exponential technologies because if you think of it you know the first robots that were built 20, 30 years ago, I mean, they probably, they look shitty. They were not that impressive. You you go on YouTube now and you you look what Boston Dynamic robots mm -hmm. do. I mean, they, they can, they could easily populate a circus with some nice, you know. They, they are good in dancing. Yeah, they can, can dance, they can jump and salto mortale and everything. So g g give things some time and don't be just too negative from the beginning. That would be my message. And we've we've seen the same in AI, right? I mean, when I was coding on my uh, Commodore C64, one of the, the things, of course, I did was the ELISA software of, of me, uh, Professor Weizenbaum. And talking to Eliza as an artificial intelligence was 
yeah, kind of limited, right? I'm sure you went through the same experience. <laughs> uh, and even now, if you speak to whatever your iPhone feels as, a, as an AI, you're not that impressed. But this is the thing, you know, you, you dismiss it. And because humans think linearly, you think because Eliza and, and my current you know, uh, AI is not really overperforming, it's not going to be good in the future. Yeah. And we may very well be surprised. Uh, and it's very likely the same with blockchain. Yeah, you mentioned the, the exponential exponential development and, and singularity university, Daniel. Uh, what are your next plans? I uh, heard that you started a new company. Can you tell us more? <laughs> about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you heard that because we're literally uh, out of the lab for for a couple of weeks now. Uh, so this has been a, a dream of mine and a few friends for a while. Uh, we actually wanted to create a company that uh, focuses exclusively on exponential technologies, but not just on one of them. And I think this is the challenge. I mean, you can be a, a, an amazing company focusing on blockchain or on AI or on augmented reality. But the challenges of the future, also in logistics, will not be answered by one technology alone, right? It's going to be drone technology, robot technology, innovations in the energy space. Uh, it's going to be blockchain. It's going to be AI. Very likely AR, uh, augmented reality, will also play a part. Um, so in, in Singular, which is how we call ourselves, SNGLR, we try to overlook all these different strands of technology, And, and really look at the combined or, or fusion effects of these different technologies for a specific industry. And we do that from three angles. So we have a, a tech shop where we actually tinker with these technologies ourselves, uh, because it's my firm belief also as a strategy consultant who worked a lot with PowerPoint in the past. Uh, it's not enough. You need to go two, three levels deeper and also understand uh, you know, what makes the machines hum, how does it really work. Uh, and at the same time, we, we run a VC, a venture capital fund, where we want to really hand-selectively choose early-stage startups that are in those areas that we, that we look at. And I think you'll be pleased to hear that logistics is, is one of these areas. So we're looking at smart mobility and smart cities, mm -hmm. which both are, of course, uh, big topics for, from a logistical point of view. And we're looking at, as a second topic, at longevity. And again, there's a lot of topics there about you know delivery of medicaments and drugs, uh, shipments, etc. But then also tracing through blockchain and AI. So so we're looking at this in a very fusion type model, and I'm super excited. Uh, we're now 10 people working on this, all with very different backgrounds, uh, and we're internationally quite spread across Europe and and the US and the Middle East. And yeah, I, I'm pretty sure good things will happen uh, with with us, and and we want to really be at the forefront of uh, all these different technologies making an impact. Wow, that sounds really interesting, and uh, I like the, the the notion of betting on converging technologies, yeah, and not one single uh, piece of tech, but really taking a look at all of them and and see how they interconnect in the future. Um, Daniel, it was a pleasure talking to you about blockchain and uh, thank you for your insights and um, thank you very much. Thank you, Marco, for uh, having me in your logistics tribe. It was a, a real honor uh, and wish you all the best and I know we'll stay in touch. Thank you yes, very much. Definitely do. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. 
That was the Logistics Try podcast episode with Daniel Diemers, hosted by Marco Prügelmeier. I hope you learned as much about blockchains as I did today. Um, if so, please consider giving us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. That will help other people discover our program more easily. And please subscribe to the Logistics Try podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.